Yes. So we are, uh, we're on the back half, if you will, of, of a series called uh, Gifted. And, and again, bottom line and target for the whole series, for this whole last few weeks, uh, is this. Is that we believe that everyone, okay, we believe everyone has been gifted. And this target is to those who would uh, claim to be followers of Christ, to those who would say that, that, that Jesus is their Lord, to those who have crossed their line of faith. Uh, we believe that every one of you is gifted. And if you have not made that decision or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, there is a gift waiting for you in the name of Jesus. And so we want to invite you to that gift. We're glad you're here. Uh, we hope that something we're talking about will, um, will inspire you to continue to take steps on your, your journey. But if you're a Christian, we believe everyone who calls Jesus Lord is gifted and has been gifted. And our goal for this series is to unlock and to unleash the power that resides in you, the power that is within you because of the gifts that have been imparted to you. All right. And so we've read this verse uh, the last few weeks, just kind of keep it consistent. Maybe by the end of two or three weeks, you guys being here, you'll, you'll actually memorize a verse like this. So let's all read this together. I want everybody to be a little, bit, be a little vocal today with me. So let's read this out loud uh, together from 1 Peter 4, 10. Let's read together. God has given each of you a gift of his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Read those two words one more time use them, right? That's what the gifts were given to you, not just to appreciate the fact that God uh, loved you so much and gave you a gift. Uh, I think sometimes we think of that as like salvation. We're so happy. I uh, get to go to heaven one day. Uh, these are gifts. These are spiritual gifts given to you to use, all right? These are, these are functional, practical gifts given to you by the Spirit for you to use. And, uh, and, and listen, today, I'm not going over the whole uh, illustration again today. Uh, if, you, if you need the, uh, I've had body parts and a mannequin and all, I'm not creeping anybody out with those things today, okay? We're moving past that. If you need to know why the, why the Bible talks about spiritual gifts in the context of a body, of a human body, and how gifts represent the parts of a body, you need to go back to the first first two weeks and look at those uh, messages, all right? But that's the way we approach and understand this variety, this great variety of spiritual gifts. And last week, we hit on the first reason, primary reason, that we are gifted, and that is we are gifted on purpose for a purpose. We're gifted on purpose for a purpose. Nothing's accidental or incidental. That, that when it comes to the greater purpose of our life in terms of us being believers, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, when we begin to align and focus on the greater purpose of our life, we know that our passions and our values and our goals and, and all these things begin to, and our abilities, they align themselves with that greater purpose. And we actually can begin to understand how our gifts are used to, to actually live on purpose for purpose, Right? And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons we are gifted. Today, we're focusing on this idea that we are gifted, not just on purpose for a purpose, we are gifted for transformation. Now that word, transformation, uh, the church and the gym, we use those words, right? Transformation is what the church uses and the gym uses. That's, we own that word, okay? So that's, that's what it is. Transformation is not just a change. I don't like the word change. Change is a part of transformation. But um, transformation is a word that implies that something didn't slightly get better, that's, that something isn't just improved a little bit. Transformation actually kind of implies that it's all different. It's completely different. That's what transformation means. And we believe that there's, you've been imparted, you've been given these gifts by God for 
your transformation and for transformation, as we're going to talk about, uh, for others as well. Okay, so that's the real, that's, that's, the, that's where I'm going today in terms of this, this conversation. We've been gifted for transformation. Now, there's a lesson I want to teach you very quickly um, that has to do with what you've been given and what we do with what we've been given, all right? This goes back to uh, that 1 Corinthians 12 passage we read the first few weeks. This is the passage that talks about uh, the parts of the body, the parts of the body and how that aligns with, with spiritual gifts. But when he goes on, this is an important part. He says, it's, it's the one and only Spirit, God, who distributes all these gifts, like distributes it to you. He alone decides which gift each person should have. God alone decides what, what the way in which you're gifted versus the way in which you're gifted, right? Now, this is important. This is important to understand in terms of when we begin to talk about transformation because I believe, you know, this will go back to the, to, the, to the bottom line. This goes to the idea that we are gifted. Go to the next slide. Our gifts are given, not earned, all right? They're given, not earned, and they are growing or they are dying. This is just two simple lessons. They are given, not earned, and they are growing or they are dying. Atrophy is the word I use because I want you to picture the body. Again, maybe I should have had the mannequin up here, but, you know, picture the body. And atrophy is the idea that it's deteriorating, that it's degenerating, that something is dying instead of growing, that muscle. All right? So it is given, not earned, meaning this. When you begin to think through change and transformation, this is where churches struggle a little bit and where people going to church struggle because they tend to think that growing in your faith looks like this. It looks this way for everyone. That, 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 you know, and then some people that struggle go, you know, I wish I could grow in my faith. Um, and, you know, you're not usually using the word gifts, but you're like, I wish I could grow and transform and experience the change I'd like to experience. But, you know, it looks so much easier for, for Tracy. It looks so much easier to, for Tracy to grow than it does for me to grow. Well, you have not been gifted the way Tracy's been gifted. So your path to growth is different. The way in which you've been gifted, you've been gifted to experience this transformation, but it is specific to the fact that God on purpose, for a purpose, gave you the gifts he gave you and gave you the gifts he gave you. That's what we're going to unpack today. And then the challenge being the fact that if you are not growing, you're actually dying. If you're not intentionally doing the things that help you transform, you're not experiencing growth, you're experiencing spiritual apathy I'm sorry, apathy, spiritual atrophy in your life. So that's, that's where we're headed today and why this matters. You don't need to argue with God about the fact that you're not wired like the person beside you. God gifted you for transformation to experience this change, this new life in Christ with God that we talked about in the last series. He wired you for this. He's been giving you gifts for this. It, it, it determines how you see things in life. And he wants to transform you through the gifts he's given you. And if, but if you're not doing it, if you're not growing, you're, you're going the other direction. All right, now, our gifts transform us, and there's two sides of this coin. First and foremost, they do. They do, and they do transform us. And I want to go to the biblical kind of definition, if you will, or the way in which Paul uses and describes what transform actually means, transforming actually means. You can go to Romans 12. If you have your Bible, you can look there, but I'll put it on the screen. This is Romans 12. Verse 1, you know, maybe a famous verse says, you know, therefore we, we live our lives as a living sacrifice, as our worship to God. Our lives look this way. This is what it looks like to pour our lives out. And in verse 2, it gives this picture of transformation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into this new person, into your new person. 
by, read those five words, changing the way you think. The NIV says, by the renewing of your mind. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, going back to some stuff we talked about last week. To know what that looks like, to understand that he's going to produce these things in you. But it comes from transforming into this new person by changing the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. Now, I'll, you know, again, our gifts transform us. When our thinking changes, what we believe changes. And when what we believe changes, our faith changes, our actions change, and therefore our lives change. This is just the progression that we see. So in understanding transformation, just in general, we have to understand that transformation, it begins, right? Transformation begins in the mind. It starts there. Now, when I say transformation begins in the mind, I want to make sure you hear those words, begins, right? Because when you, again, we own, the, you know, church and gyms and other, we own these words. But this is one of the reasons that a good fitness coach and like a good self-help guru, you know, they, they have incredible success because transformation does happen when you begin to change the way you think. And they can own that space. I mean, they really can. They own the, if you can get past your limiting beliefs, if you can step past, you know, the fear that holds you back, if you can, uh, you know, reshape and reframe the way you see your circumstances, if you can do all these things, you can experience transformation. And they're not wrong. Because transformation does begin in the mind. They're actually getting this from the way God designed it, the way it's wired within us. The transformation begins there, but it's one of the reasons they're so successful. Now, I will say this, that for most, you guys can just nod with me if you agree, that the most of the human race, the way, you know, the way it is kind of sitting in our current uh, century, we're all pretty lazy. Just nod your head if you agree. Yeah, we're all pretty lazy, right? So in trans, when transformation comes, and it comes by the renewing of your mind, whether you're a Christian or a self-help guru, we're going to choose the path of least. We, have, we actually divide it into two camps, actually. It's the path of least resistance, meaning, well, if you can think it, you can achieve it, right? It's mind over matter. Or it's almost impossible, and i got to pay a shrink for 30 years to help me work this out, right? So we kind of divide it into these two extremes, the problem with that is thinking that's impossible or thinking that it's this overwhelming challenge is many of us won't take the effort to do it. And when we think it's easy, we will choose the easiest path to make us feel like we're experiencing transformation. Now, I call this, you know, very creatively, I call this false transformation, right? It's, it's, it's what, again, it begins in the mind. We believe transformation begins in the mind. It's important. But for all those who just think, well, you just got to change your mindset and you'll experience transformation, it's a false transformation. Here's why. Because we will drift. We will drift to the easiest way to experience and feel like we are being, like we are being transformed. And the three ways that I just say commonly, commonly how it happens, the three ways we experience this is through conforming, comparing, or condemning. All right? So if, it's, if all that i got to do to experience transformation is to just conform my behavior and the way I act and the way I, you know, I'm seen by expectations placed on me. Uh, that's what conforming means, to kind of fold into a mold, right? Or to, to, to look at the way Tracy lives and just act more like Tracy and like, what would Tracy do? Like I could wear the bracelet and everything, right? And I could, I could begin to act that way. And because I'm seeing a change, I, because of that, of that conforming, I can feel and think that I'm experiencing transformation, but it won't last, 
It's not lasting. It's temporary. It's weak. It's false. It's not real transformation. Comparing is very easy because all I have to do is find someone that isn't as awesome as me, right? And all I have to do is just find them and start comparing where they are compared to where I am, and man, I feel completely transformed. Or, I was even talking with somebody between services, I don't even need to find anybody. I can just look at the five-year-old past version of me. And because I'm not as bad as he was, right, I must be doing well. I mean, I must be. Look at how transformed I am. I can feel transformed. Now, condemning is, is probably the one that I think a lot of us even don't even know we do, but condemning is just we focus our attention on, on how bad everyone else is, right? There's a lot of they in our conversation, them and they and, and the media and the culture and the whatever and the opposite party of my part, you know, like they. We condemn them so we don't have to worry about us. We don't have to focus on us. But we feel so much better. We feel there's this aspect of transformation that we feel by condemning others. Like, I don't, that's so wrong versus the way I do things. And listen, the church is the worst at this. I say the church. I mean, all religious systems. But guys, the church, the Christian church is the worst at this. You know, we, we, this is why behavior modification is so rampant in the church religious system that if I can just force you into a mold of what I tell you a Christian looks like and I can force behavior and I can force expectations on you, oh my gosh, look at Journey, look how transformed people are, right? If I could just do that, it's the easiest path to feeling transformed. Comparing, right? That's why we get into life groups. Let's, let's be honest, that's why we get into life groups. I'll find a few of you that aren't doing nearly as well as me, right? Can you believe they just said that? Psh, they don't even know Jesus, right? And I can feel so much better about me. I can feel so transformed in the where I am in life and what God's doing in me by just finding a few other Christians who call themselves Christians that aren't doing as well. And listen, condemning. Holy cow, right? Like there's, there, there are believers, there are Christians like, they, they couldn't find the book of Zephaniah. They don't know why it's important to the Old Testament, but they have a PhD in condemnation, right? Because if I can focus hard enough and long enough on how bad you are, I do not have to deal with where I fall short. That's what that, I mean, it's, and it makes us, because it's in the mind. We're not saying it's not in the mind. Transformation begins in the mind. But if we stick with that, if it's only that, we will take the shortest path, we will take the shortest route, and we will feel like transformation's happening, and it's not actually happening. It's weak. It's false. And for us, guys, listen, this is, this is I love this about, this is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus just in terms of, again, how God changes how we used to think versus how we need to think now. He says this, you've heard about Jesus. He's talking to the church. Since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. So throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. I would even say the former way of thinking, right? And it says, which is corrupted and by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. You gotta let that be renewed. And I my argument is in terms of why you've been gifted for transformation is the way you think is how you've been gifted by God. But if you don't understand that, then you don't know how to read the Bible. You don't know how to, to study and to pray and understand your own 
you know, a growth path. You don't understand it because, you know, you've been to- it's all in your own strength or you've been told by others. Like there's some of you, listen, you are such a black and white thinker, right? You are such a black and white thinker. It's clear, crystal clear. It's black and white. There is no gray. There's never been gray. And you've been told for years that, that is either wrong or, that's, or you've been fed, uh, fed the lie that that's actually the only way it should be. So you're filled with self-righteousness and pride. Or you're told it's wrong and you're arrogant and you should be ashamed of that. And the reality is your, your spiritual gift is teaching or prophecy or wisdom. That's the reason you think like that. That is a path on how you're going to grow. It's to better understand. Why are you a black and white thinker? Why are you gifted that way? Why have you been wired that way? Listen, if you, you, you have trouble saying no to people, you have trouble saying no to needs in your life, you're not weak. You're not a pushover. Okay, that, that, that has filled you with nothing more than a, than, a, than a life of feeling insecure in who you are because people have kind of called you a doormat and you feel that way yourself sometimes. That's not it. God has gifted you. You are filled with mercy and compassion. You're a pastor shepherd. There's this gift in you that's, that's, that's designed in you, and it's the way you think, and it needs to be renewed so you can begin to use that gift and live in that gift. It's not wrong. You know, for, for a lot of you, you know, let's say you're leadership gifted or administratively gifted, and you've just, I mean, listen, you've been accused of it, and you've just thought it was true. Like, you're, if, you people would just, if you could just control people, life would be so much better, right? Right? If you could just control people, life would be so much better if you all would just do it the way I do it and think about it. And do. That's, that is a wiring in you. That is a gift in you and how you think. But that gift needs to be renewed. You have, to, you have to understand the renewing of your mind daily and how I've been wired and how I've been gifted is the path for me to experience transformation. There is no, there is no cookie cutter way in which you grow in faith. You're not going to be a carefree, you know, thinking person and then come to Christ and all of a sudden be the most detailed analytic thinker in the world. Doesn't happen, right? That doesn't happen because God has gifted you and that path of how you've been gifted is the path and how you need to focus on renewing your mind. Renewing your mind in the way in which you've been gifted allows you to start to begin to really experience that transformation that God wants you to experience. But you have to know who you are. Listen, I'm just telling you. There's some of you, I mean, you, you love lost people. You pray for lost people. But your heart, you don't know how to explain it, but your heart is torn and burdened for God's church, for the church of God, for God's people. And in your own strength, and when you don't understand it, all you do is seem to get frustrated by God's people. I mean, lost people have never frustrated you like church people have frustrated you, right? Well, let me just tell you something. You have an Ephesians 4 gift from God, a gift mix from God that has your eyes focused on the church because he wants to have you grow in that and he wants to have you be a part of equipping and empowering the saints for ministry. That's why you, that's why you think the way you do. But you have to cast off the old way of thinking, especially working within your own power to make those things work. And know that, listen, the Transformation begins with the renewing of your mind in how you've been gifted already. I'm telling you, once you begin to realize the way you've been thinking your whole life, God put in you. 
you'll actually maybe start to grow if you'll let him renew. Change the way you think. Renew your mind. Renew those thoughts and attitudes. But it doesn't stop there, and that's, that's why we have to keep moving. I can't, can't just park. It doesn't stop there because the other side of this coin that has to exist, which is why, you know, self-help gurus and Christian self-help gurus and, you know, fitness people, they get it wrong. You're going to experience temporary times of feeling of transformation, false transformation. It won't last because the second side of this is you're not just gifted to transform. It's not just gifted to transform us, transform you. Our gifts transform others. They do. And that's the way God designed it. Now, they might not change people the way you would like to change people, all the control freaks in the room, right? It doesn't change people the way you think you, you know, you'd like to change people, but the way in which you begin to live out of your gifts, it does transform others. It touches everyone around you. It can't help but to touch everyone around you if you're truly experiencing transformation. We're going to go look at uh, James, who's the brother of Jesus, all right? Now, James, I want you to picture, I call him Pastor Jimmy. This is who I think of James, all right? James is a pastor in the church of Jerusalem, Okay? And you can't imagine the amount of counseling appointments and conversation with religious church people he had to have before he wrote the book of James. But I know that this book is filled with pastorly wisdom to God's people. And he hits this right on the head just within the first couple chapters as he kind of comes out to write this letter for the church. The first thing he says is this. He says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your life and humbly accept the word of God. He has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. That's the importance of understanding this word of God. And then he goes on to say this. But don't just listen to God's word. Now, that was their culture. They would go and someone would read and they would listen. Now, we, would, we all have it at our disposal, our fingertips. Don't just listen or read God's word. You must, what's that word say? You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are what? Fooling yourselves. ESV and NIV say, you are deceiving yourself. Here, here's James. James goes, hey, that's fantastic. Because James, James knew from his religious culture that isn't any different than our religious culture. Is that it's so easy, again, path of least resistance, it's so easy for us to get used to a culture where you feel convicted where you feel inspired, where you feel challenged, and for you to go, whoo, I've made progress today spiritually, right? I've made progress. I'm growing in my faith. James says, wrong. No. He actually compares it later on to like looking in the mirror and looking at that disgusting pot filled, like just, you know, pimples face, you know, patchy beard thing in the mirror. He says, it's like looking at that in the mirror and seeing everything that's wrong and then walking away as if you didn't even see it. That's what it's like. He said, no, 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 you're, you're going to cast this off. You cannot simply listen. You cannot simply feel encouraged. You cannot simply feel inspired. You cannot simply even feel guilty or feel convicted and then not do anything about it. You're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. You feel like it was transformation. You feel like you've made progress. Wrong. Matter of fact, in the second chapter, he goes on to say this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you do not show it by your actions? It doesn't show up in your behavior. It doesn't show up in the way you live. 
Skip to verse 17. He says it again. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. This thing that you're growing in, this thing that you feel transformed by, if it doesn't actually change anything, it's nothing. It's dead. It's useless. He even uses the body illustration later on. He says, the body is dead without the spirit, so also faith is dead without good works. He even goes back to that picture of the human body. Just like it's dead without the spirit. Hey, this life you claim to have, this faith you claim to be transformed by, this cha- oh, you were so inspired, you know, Matt's message just really challenged you. You did nothing with it. It means it's dead, it's useless. It's dead. It doesn't just transform us, it transforms others, but it only transforms others if we're actually experiencing transformation. Because transformation begins in the mind, but it must, it must and will, and, and if it's transformation, it will. Transformation begins in the mind, but it matures, put my slide up, it matures in our behaviors. Transformation begins in the mind, but it matures in our behaviors. We used to, th- you know, we've, we live in a culture that says mature Christians are, well, they just know more than me. They just know more than me. They just know more about the Bible than me. They know where Zephaniah is. How many know where Zephaniah is? Do you even know it's an Old Testament book? It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Sorry. It's obscure. I'm not lying to you. It's obscure. Well, that's, that's mature. That's mature believers. That's mature followers of Christ. They know more. They have more faith. They trust God more. No. Maturing in your maturing is the act of transformation where it begins to renew your mind and it plays itself out by affecting others, by helping transform and change others through your behavior. That's what the maturing life of a believer looks like. That's what it is. Paul says it this way in terms of the church. For I've longed to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift. He said, I'm going to bring you a spiritual gift that helps you grow strong in the Lord. But here's the, here's the part that Paul understood. He said, it isn't just me helping you. It says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. This is how this works. Like I'm, God's renewing my mind and I'm being transformed, but I'm, it's maturing itself in my behavior. And it doesn't just help transform and change you. I get to experience that from you as well. That's why we need each other. That's why intentional community matters. Let's just give you a few examples. I'll just run through a few examples. When it's in our own strength, let's just take the gift mix of administration, faith, and leadership. In our own strength, again, administration, you're just trying to control everything. You're trying to control others. Faith is often something you, you struggle to feel because you feel like um, it's the absence of fear, but fear still exists. And in leadership, if it's in your own strength, if, you, if it's false transformation, you can still kind of adopt that top-down leadership thinking. But if you're beginning to allow God to renew your mind in the way in which you see these gifts and, and, and it's maturing in your behavior, administration, you realize that you have been given a gift to work in unity with other people's giftings. That faith, that faith is really the process of helping others understand that it's overcoming fear, not the absence of fear. And again, when it's maturing in your behavior, your leadership gift is servant leadership because it really begins to celebrate the gifts of others and you're able to celebrate the achievements of other people because you realize that they're living out and being transformed by the gifts that God gave them. Another uh, mix of, of gifts, word of knowledge, teaching, healing. These are just examples. 
Again, you may have advice to give. You may have an opportunity to give advice to others, and, and you, do that, you do that through surface understanding, and you're a teacher, so things can very easily become very system, uh, system, systemic, systemic, systematic and less inspirational maybe. And you understand that God heals people. You do understand the power of God to heal people, but you feel disconnected to the process. But if you're allowing God to renew your mind in terms of how you've been gifted and you begin to mature that out in your behavior, you can actually give advice and give counsel and wisdom that supersedes anything that could be done that could be seen on the surface or deduced because of the word of knowledge you've been given. And you can actually have supernatural assistance when you teach where you can come actually connect the complexity of God's word and of truth with the simple and he says we, in terms of even healing, I really do believe that with, with us understanding better and maturing our behavior, we believe that God is the one who heals, but we become active participants in the process. So we pray and we lay on hands and we anoint and we speak life into those who need spiritual and physical restoration. Another gift mix would be like shepherd giving and, and mercy. And again, in our own strength, if we're not really experiencing this transformation, we can care about others, but we get really frustrated by leading other people. We can give, but that giving tends to often just be emotional. So it goes up and down, and then, and then caring becomes a burden. We care for others so deeply, it actually becomes a burden to us. And yet if we are allowing God to renew our minds, we can experience God through the gift of someone who actually deeply cares and walks with them knows that, there's, that it's not going to be perfect, but walks with them and cares anyway. That your generosity is often a way in which you impart value is the way you are so generous with all your things, time, talents, treasures, that you impart this value on others because it speaks so much louder than words do. And with mercy comes a depth of care for others that it flows from a never-ending well of compassion that continues even when you yourself are empty which is how it can, you can actually still do this without it being a burden on your life. I want to share a story with you of one of our journey partners. Um, I'm looking for ways to share more of her story. We have a lot of it recorded, and I'm trying to find some ways maybe on social media in the next couple weeks to share uh, the full part of her story. But I wanted you to see a little bit. Let, let this story just inspire you in terms of uh, even when you don't know how God's been using your gifts, how he can use the way in which he's gifted you. Let's watch a little bit of Terry's story. My name is Terry Moraccio. My relationship with God really began in 1975. I just didn't know it in 1975. And I was finally baptized in 1985. I did a newsletter for the church. I was Sunday school superintendent. I was on the administrative council. I helped with the children's choirs. I did church really well. I didn't totally understand what it meant to be a Christian at that time. I was just doing church really well. And it actually wasn't for almost another 10 years before I truly understood what grace was all about. Somebody in church had mentioned one of their very dear friends who was unable to attend because she was so ill. She was waiting um, to get a transplant, a kidney transplant. At the time, I thought, wow, I've, I've got, I'm alive because God saved me. And so, I volunteered to be tested. And the kidney people at Emory University had told Priscilla, the, the lady that was gonna get my kidney, 
not to get her hopes up because the chances of finding a match of an unrelated donor off the street were astronomical, that was the word they used, and for her not to get her hopes up because we supposedly weren't gonna be a match. I waited a couple of weeks and the project manager in me took over and I called and said, what's the deal? And the transplant coordinator said, well, we think there's some kind of a problem. We need some more blood. I said, okay, what's the problem? She said, well, on paper, you're not supposed to be a match. And yet when we did the test, it came out perfect. And we think the technician did something wrong. So I gave blood again and the same thing happened. Coordinator called me and said, we don't understand what's going on. And um, so the director of the lab is going to come in on Saturday and do this test himself if you'll give more blood. I said, well, I do know what's going on. This is not a science thing. This is a God thing. I said, you can do it 26 ways to Sunday and you're still gonna get the same result because it's not scientific. And I got a phone call from the director of the lab himself who said, it's not supposed to happen. I don't understand this, it's not supposed to be this way, but it worked. And I really don't understand it, but I have to give you an okay on the transplant. And that's how we were able to go to transplant. And I would have to say that it's one of the greatest blessings in my life to have done that journey. It wasn't really about the kidney, it was a journey of trust. God taught me a lot about faith and trust through that journey. That was the first time that I really put it all together. My gifts are probably things like service or mercy, which is kind of a difficult one to define, but service, mercy, and, and possibly administration. As I look back, it, it seems that that's the way God has guided me. I didn't really even know it. I never really thought about my gifts until probably the last five, six years. God truly did broaden my opportunities, my life, and my outlook starting in, let's say, March of 2011 when I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is um, cancer of the bone marrow. It's incurable, but not necessarily uncontrollable. God put me in this position of having to give up work, which now means I can be on the road, which I have been literally for 14 months. I look back at it and say, wow, it was great that I was able to be there so that my friend could go and stay with her sick father or, or be there to help with her mom at a time when they needed me or be at my friend's flower farm to help with the greenhouses on a cold night. I never really thought of that much as being acts of service, but in reality, God's positioned me so that I can be there for people that I love, which is just awesome. Many of my friends have come forth with needs that I had no idea about because I was so busy in my regular life, and now he's just opened up all kinds of opportunities. It's been wonderful. He has taken something as scary as cancer and actually turned it into something really positive. It's had its challenges over the last six years, but I believe that I've probably had more blessings than I have challenges through that whole journey. So what's the purpose of Terry's story? Well, 
the purpose is not to say, okay, you need to give away your kidney um, or you got to wait till cancer comes to, to really be new experience. What's, the, story, the point of Terry's story is to help you understand that even before you have realized it, okay, God was at work using the way in which he gifted you, aligning circumstances, aligning the path for you to have opportunities for you to begin to experience transformation. Our, our vision as a church, our vision as a church is that we are transformed people, changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. Why do we have that in our vision statement? Because we believe that being transformed, if we really are experiencing real transformation, we have no choice but to change others and, to, and for it to affect others as we point them to absolute hope. Now, I do have to give you this warning, okay? There's a warning I have to give you before we close it today, and all, my, all the people with gifts of prophecy and teaching are really excited I just said that. There's a warning that comes, okay? And, the, and just me reading through, I, I started back reading the Gospel of Matthew at the beginning of the year, and uh, this just jumped back out at me as I was preparing, and, and it's, just, it's one of my favorite stories in which Jesus teaches uh, about talents, and he teaches about the way in which he gives us things. And, and the warning is very stern. This is a very stern warning uh, for us who have been gifted, who have been given this ability and talents and, and giftedness that he's given us, that we are given this to use. And so here's what it says in Matthew 25. It says, to those who use well what we're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance but for those who, read the two words, do nothing. For those that settle for false transformation, for those that settle for feeling inspired, feeling challenged, and feeling convicted, and thinking they're making progress, for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So the, the challenge today is that if you want to experience this change, if you want to experience and begin to, to step into this new life that He's given you, you are challenged and charged to do that, to risk it, to leverage it, to leverage the way in which he's gifted you. And you will begin to experience the renewing of your mind. You'll begin to experience maturing your faith in and through your behaviors. But you need to do it. You don't need to wait. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. If it's not growth you're experiencing, it is atrophy. And what little you have can be lost. That's the challenge. That's the warning of why this matters. And my prayer for you this morning is that you will begin to recognize the way in which God has gifted you. You'll, be, you'll take the step. You'll, you'll do the assessment. You'll read through the book. You'll, you'll begin the conversation right now. And you'll begin to see how God wants to renew your mind and begin to experience the power within you to really experience transformation, to not just simply have a slightly improved life, but a transformed one. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the way that your word challenges us to understand how we've been gifted. God, we are responsible with such incredible gifts and abilities and a life that you've given us. You've called us to use it well. And God, in I know for me and for times in my life, and I was so settled on things that I wanted to do and so fixed on the things that I wanted to see that I really did not feel like I did anything with what you gave me. And God, I can't get those years back, but God, I can continue to challenge. I can continue to pray for 
everyone here, everyone listening later online, God, for you to reveal to us how you have gifted us to experience the transformation you long for us to be able to experience, and that it doesn't just transform us. It transforms people around us because of your power. God, thank you for that, and I pray today, God, that we will leave challenged to do something with what we've heard, to do something with what we've been learning, and to experience that side of this transformation. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.